Who's generally better looking, a fairy or a pixie? Looks aren't everything. Anything bring tears to a monkey's eyes? Learning that Tarzan swings both ways. A friend of yours offers you to give you something called a French 75. What is that? A French 75. Just a minute, that's 25 more than it was the last time. How many men on a hockey team? About half. <laughs> the tin man wanted a heart and the lion wanted courage. What did the straw man want? He wanted the tin man to notice him. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Carnival Personnel Sideshow. Uh, I'm Jacques. Biff. Yeah. I'm Joe. Hey. And we actually have a legit guest, uh, an author and an author of a book of one of, you know, our, our collective favorite like TV personalities from the 60s and 70s, uh, Paul Lynn, uh, author Kathy with a C, uh, uh, Rudolph. How are you, Kathy? Doing well in New York, keeping warm here, trying to. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's the key. Like Joe, Joe is Boston. I'm Boston. Biff is he's not by a palm tree right now, but he's definitely not uh, zero degree temperature like we are here. That is true. So, I'm sorry for you people <laughs> in so many ways. So I don't know how I first stumbled across like, you know, Kathy on Twitter uh, probably just saw some post that you had about Paul Lynn and liked it. And then after a while, you know, saw a couple other ones um, reached out and said, Hey, uh, would you come on the podcast? And, and, and luckily she is. And both, you know, Joe and I devoured the book and uh, we'll just get right into it. I think right off the bat, just the story of how you came into Paul Lynn's orbit uh, for, for anyone who hasn't written, read the book yet, and, and, and the title of the book, just make sure I get it right, um, His Lives, His Loves, and His Laughter, uh, Paul Lynn. Um, Kathy, how did, you, how did you first make contact in the most crazy way I've ever heard a fan getting hold of a celebrity? Well, I was really impressed with Paul Lynn on television between Bewitched, but mostly Hollywood Squares with his unique lines the way he spoke his expressions and i thought he was super handsome i said i'm gonna meet him now i had you know donny osmond posters in my room but nobody intrigued me more than paul in so i was in high school uh i was around 15 years old and i started telling my teachers before i graduate i'm gonna meet paul in they're like you're a dreamer it's never gonna happen i don't know why i said this i had no plan it was just a gut i have to meet him so uh, when I was 17, I was in the local library and every weekend, you know, if Paulin was on television, uh, Bewitched, uh, I Dream a Genie, F2, whatever show we was on, my phone would ring at home. Kathy Paulin's, you know, everybody knew I was crazy about him. So the phone would ring and I'd go watch him. On weekends, I would do research, anything I could find about Paulin, uh, magazines or whatever. So I had been doing this for a while. And one day the woman there got to, know me you know she knew I, I was crazy about Paul and doing research she said we have a book on Broadway stars it's a reference book you can't take it out of the library but you can certainly look through it I'm sure there be might be something about him in the Broadway play Bye Bye Birdie which was like 1964 so as I'm looking through the uh, reference book 
there was a like a resume of Paul in what he's done. And then at one spot, it said Pauline's manager's business phone number. So I go to the librarian, I have her make a copy back in the day, you couldn't take the reference book out, took the paper home, went to my parents and I said, I want to call this number. And my parents says it's California. It's long distance. In those days, you paid extra. You could call but make it person to person. He's never going to answer that phone. Well, I called and my father actually, this is not in the book, but my father actually answered the phone. I had gone out. I left a message with this phone number about Kathy Fitzgibbon. Uh, I'm Kathy Fitzgibbon Rudolph now, but at the time uh, it was Kathy Fitzgibbon called from New York urgent. So I had gone out with a boyfriend at the time, uh, came in around 11 o'clock at night. And my dad said, you're not going to believe who called. I said, who? He said, Paul Lynn called you back. I said, what? He said, yeah, he's waiting for you to call him back. I couldn't believe it. So I dialed the number and Paul Lynn himself answers. And I said, I can't believe I'm talking to you. He says, I can't believe you found my phone number. Your father said you found it in the library. He said, how did you get my number? I said, it was in a book. And he's like, how dare that book do that? And he didn't hang up. And I knew he was very fond of his dog, Harry McAfee, who he named after his part in Bye Bye Birdie. And I started asking him about his dog. And I knew that was his love of his life. And that got him talking about his dog. He was having an operation on his paw. And then I talked to him about Donnie and Marie Osmond shows. It just kept flowing. He never hung up. And out of nowhere, I just said, will you go to the senior prom with me? And he said, no way. And I said, <laughs> and that's when his, cause he was talking natural at that point was the funniest line with his voice when he said no way in his uninvitatable voice and then um i said well then i want to meet you he says i'm in california you're in new york i said i know you come to new york i did enough research to know he went there every thanksgiving and christmas at the pier hotel and he said i'm coming in a few weeks i said i want to meet you and he kept saying no and finally i wore him down i said i'll have my father take me and that for some reason made him feel more secure he said okay five minutes I'll meet you. You get an autograph. And I said, of course, I want a picture. He said, yes. And that's it. I said, thank you so much. I would be thrilled. Two weeks later, he's at the pier. He told me when to call him. He said, okay, come into the city with your father. And I said, uh, well, it was a Wednesday, I think, or Thursday. And, he, and I said, well, I have school. And I said, but don't worry, I can skip school. And he said, no, you go to school. <laughs> and, uh, of course I didn't. And my father took me into the city. And we get to the Pierre Hotel and the hotel's on fire. I said, oh my gosh, I'm never going to meet him. The, they had revolving doors where you walk in. We got into the library and there's firemen running around with hoses. The maitre d' is not letting anybody up and down the elevators. I'm like, my father's like, we have to get out of here. I said, I don't care if it burns down. I'm not leaving till I meet Paul in. And just a second later, through those revolving doors, Paul in, walks through the doors. He was uh, a few minutes late from a chiropractor appointment. And I ran over with, to him. I had a red rose in my hand. And I said, Mr. Lind, I'm Kathy Fitzgibbon. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm running late. What's happening here? And then he says, where's your father? I said, my father's right there. I called my dad over, introduced them. And Paul looks at my dad and says, boy, you really are fans. You stood here in the flames and the smoke. And he said, let's get out of here. They're not letting us up to the suite we'll go down to the Sherry Neverlands. Well, now I'm like, 
this is going to be more than a minute with him. So we walked through the city, got down to the sherry, uh, got a table, and Paul and I started talking. And my father describes us like two old friends. We just hit it off. And five minutes went into over two and a half hours of just asking him about his life, his career. It was so amazing. He was wonderful, very honest. Um, I remember asking him about the Hollywood Squares. Do you make up those funny lines? Now, remember, he was asking that. The press was asking him for years, and he always attributed to his own genius. He didn't want people to think he was not funny. But, you know, it was scripted. Most of it, he did ad lip a few times, but basically it was scripted. And he said to me, no, dear, someone writes them for me. And I thought, how honest. And I said, well, they're funny anyway. And of course, we were going on with time. And then he said, I have some guests coming to the pier. I'm going to leave now. And I thanked him, you know, my gosh, you, you just spent two and a half hours with us. And he said, oh, picture, I promise you a picture. So my dad got out the, you know, the Polaroid with the instant pictures. And he took a picture of me and Paul. And then um, while we're waiting it for it to dry, Paul's writing something on a paper. And then he hands it to me and he says, this is my home address. Come to see me in California anytime you want. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was enough to meet him, spend time with him, get his picture, autograph. Now I'm invited to his home. From that day on, every Christmas Eve, he called me. When he came to the city, I saw him. And we developed a friendship until he passed away in 1982, I think. January 82 or 81. I forget the year. I kind of blocked that out of my mind. Yeah. So that's how we met. Uh, uh, Joe, I'm going to let you, Joe, Joe sent Biff and I a picture of the notes he was taking reading the book. And honestly, it would look like he was cramming for the SATs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Kathy, I, I did. I, I picked up your book actually a year ago, the actual physical hardcover or the, the paperback book. And uh, I started reading it and then uh, it's been a while since I read it. So I reread it recently and I just went through it like, you know, uh, basically like I was studying for the SATs because I wanted to make sure that I hit all the points or came up with some questions that I wanted to ask you about your relationship with Paul. Like, you know, it seemed like you and him obviously had a, 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 a friendly and intimate and he sort of, sort of considered you a, a confidant in mm -hmm. some respects. When, uh, how often would you and he get together at, either by phone or in person over the like the six years? It, it was six years. You met in 75 and he passed in 82. Five years. Yeah. yeah. Five, five years. Uh, oh, my gosh. Every he called me every Christmas Eve. I thought that was a big deal. I mean, just to take your time and make sure he said hello to me. Every, even though he always said my line was always busy back then, we didn't have call waiting and forwarding. And he would wait and he's like, oh, and it's usually me on the phone with my girlfriends and I have three sisters. So the phone was always busy. I saw him when he came to New York. I went out to his house in California. I went to the Bill Cosby dog show with him, um, spent some time with him in his home, but he had just moved into the house. So that was interesting because he had a beautiful mansion, the Errol Flynn old home, but he had just moved to Beverly Hills. And that's when I was coming but everything was in boxes. And he was so disappointed because the week I was coming, he had just moved all his stuff in. So everything in the house was uh, in boxes. I didn't get to see his beautiful antiques and his fireplaces, but um, we saw each other, I don't know, dozens of times over the years. And he would, we'd write each other little notes and mail it back and forth. I'd go see him in a couple of shows. If it was fairly local, Virginia, 
my last one I saw him was up in Canada. I went, I took that trip up to Canada because I wanted to see him. I hadn't seen him in a while. And uh, just nice friendship, wonderful. And when when you first went to the city to meet him, are you a sophomore? Are you a junior in high school? And did anybody believe you when you showed up the next day with the picture? That was uh, amazing. I was, it was 1975. I graduated high school in 76. It was November and I showed my teachers and the bet was if I met Paul in before I graduated, that instead of having a class, they had to bring in the Hollywood squares. I had a, I think it was at 1130 in the morning, Hollywood squares, if I remember, would run during the week and I had a class that, and that teacher was the one that I made the bet with. And she had to bring in that TV the next day. Instead of class, we had to watch Hollywood squares. She kept her word. So did I. Um, so I was a junior in high school. And people couldn't believe it. Most people went crazy, you know, and they, they couldn't believe it. But um, it was there. I had my picture. And yeah. what what uh, what drew you to Paul Lind, you know, specifically? His answers on Hollywood Squares, the they were so funny. I didn't know they were scripted, but you know what it is about timing. And if you look at every comedian, most things are written either written for them. It's just your timing. I thought he was very handsome, unique. I saw no one else with his expressions, his his comedic ways. I just I found him. I still think he's the most unique. Most everybody's unique, but he was really in his own element that I don't think anybody has ever been able to duplicate again. Yeah, he he really was kind of a pioneer in a lot of ways as far as like representation on television because you know even though he wasn't out as a gay man or or was public about it he was a, a gay man on television in a time when a lot of people were not or a lot of gay people were not on television so in that respect he was you know groundbreaking in, in, in a lot of ways for you know a group of people who just weren't um being being shown on television in, in any way, shape or form. It was almost like those people didn't exist or we didn't talk about gay people, but he was out and kind of, you know, knocked down a lot of doors as far as getting a, the gay um, lifestyle or just that sort of persona out there on television for, and on a family show, well, you know, kind of a family show. I mean, there were only three channels, but it was a daytime show. Uh, the stuff that they would say on that show was just, outrageous um but uh, it, it was just amazing that you know he was able to you know uh, i guess use his unique um timing and and uh, his abilities to you know sort of blaze a trail for himself and others to follow you know he had contemporaries like charles nelson riley who were in the same ilk um and uh, yeah it was just he he was a very unique character and um yeah i think he was a uh, he he uh, was a, a voice that, like you said, it, it's inimitable. You can't really imitate it. Um, and and uh, I can see how somebody could be drawn to like that. He, and he was probably a very magnetic person in person, would, oh, would you say? yes. Very intelligent. Very intelligent, um, articulate, um, had that great smile with all his hundred teeth, and but cautious. He was very cautious. Um, like when he met me, it wasn't, you could see, you know, a little, he's always arm's length, I think, with everybody. It, hard to get close to him, but 
after warming up, like at one point he, he said to my, he asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, an author, just to let you know, I never knew I was going to write about him at that time, but you know, <laughs> that's what I said. And he turned to my dad and said, what does she want from me? See, they're cautious, you know, you, you. and my dad said nothing. She's just a devoted fan. And you could see Paul slowly let his guard down because he told me later on, he never knows what somebody wants from him. Is it because he's all in on TV? Is it because he's got money? Very insecure. And I guess that's for a lot of celebrities out there, unless you're dating another celebrity and you meet somebody, what is their ulterior motive? And they had to be, or Paul was especially cautious about that. But you're right about being a pioneer. The writers on the show, because I spoke to Les Roberts, I did a nice interview with him for the book. Uh, he said, we all knew Paul was gay. In Hollywood, you all knew it. But back then, even the newspapers, reporters, journalism left your private life out. First of all, it would ruin his career. He'd lose everything if that got out to the public. Um, but they all knew it. So those jokes after a while, knowing Paul was gay and Paul was okay with it, you know, when they did the jokes, Paul, um, you're the world's most popular fruit. What are you? And Paul said, humble. <laughs> you know, people watching this, if you're a gay person, you're kind of going to get that. If you're just a family person, it's funny. You're not sure. But he was breaking the ice that people weren't laughing at him because he's gay, they're laughing with him. And I thought that was a great way the writers did it. And um, they asked uh, the Wizard of Oz, the straw man wanted a brain, the lion wanted courage. What did the tin man want? And he said uh, he wanted the straw man to notice him. So these were great jokes that just went over your head if you were too young and just, I don't know, to this many- day, how many men on a hockey team? About half. That's right. That, that's great. You got it. Okay. That See, incredible. those are great. So it, it, it's funny. I think I think three different um, times in the book throughout his life, Paul kept mentioning, "That's the one woman I could have married." So so I mean, three different times, and then and you go into great detail. Uh, about a passionate kiss that you shared with them and which your mother, you know, ends up yelling to your dad to break it up because it had gone on so long. Uh, Oh, that was so fun for me. (laughs) You know, do you you think they're like his sweetheart in high school? And uh, Joe and I were trying to remember the other actress that he had said this about. Maggie Smith. Do, 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 do you think he was at all, uh, you know, I mean, he could not have had a real happy marriage to any of these these women. I mean, but but it seemed he never really got over his high school girlfriend. He talked about her a lot. I did interview her also for the book, Marilyn. They went out in high school. She said he was great. You know, I, I joked with her. Was he a good kisser? She said, yeah. I said, well, I got to kiss him, too. You know, we made jokes about him. Great guy. But he went away to college. She moved on and met somebody. And he just used that for many, many years later it, when the press asked him, how come you're not married? Oh, He's not okay. going to say because, you know, th- that right. was, I think, his... His get out of jail free card. Exactly, um, his safe net. So, so, so that's something that Joe and I were just having a long talk about. The people he went to college with, it's like, 
it almost seemed like a who's who and the one and the and the name that blew me away the most you know somebody who just passed away uh Cloris Leachman and him were really good friends all through college that was uh that was you know to think that they went to school that's like 45 46 47 if I'm you know in that time frame um you know, and Cloris was working up until two, what she passed away two years ago, and she was still working. I forget, but okay, yeah, because I interviewed her too, and she was so fun. Yeah, I, I, I've got I've got to meet her a few times, and uh, just just <laughs> yeah, and 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 um, and it, it was you know the the funny thing is that uh i don't think she graduated and and it always confused paul it's like wait i graduated and was like actor of the year at college but all my contemporaries are moving on here's a, here's a big question that joe and i were thinking about what would if, if paul had survived um and, and you know he, he he lives another 20 20 some years what do you think his career in the you know mid to late 80s and 90s were and do you think he would have wound up on a reality show kind of like uh, what what was the celebrity Big Brother and a couple of the other ones? Do you think what do you think his career would have been through the eighties and nineties had he survived? Well, what he wanted to do uh, as he was nearing, we'll call it retirement, but not really. Um, he wanted to buy a brownstone in Manhattan, open up a restaurant, and be the host. And this way he could come out and meet people if he felt like it. And he loved meeting fans, loved it. That was kept him going. Um, but I believe he would have been great on any reality show. And he was a gourmet cook. So I picture him that if he had lived on that, they maybe have given him uh, like a Rachel Ray type of show where he's cooking and chopping up the carrots the way nobody would chop up carrots and talk to the lettuce. And I, I think he would have been great and people would have loved watching him. And he's also very sincere about his cooking. So I think that would have been great seeing him on a cooking show, reality show, or some show where he could be more of himself. What I think killed them, killed his career, I should say, is he had, nobody knew what to do with him. He had great talent super great talent but they would put him in with the canned laughter and making every other line like in the Paul Lynn show if they had done more of a serious role and then some jokes I think people could have taken it more it's just too much for some people every other line I, I think he you know we're still talking about him so whether he didn't reach his potential in his own eyes I think we all see now my gosh how big he was and he would be so grateful right now to know how many people still love him still talk about him and are still interested in watching the old shows yeah because as for myself you know i'm in my 40s so he passed when i was just a kid and he really didn't appear too much on television and reruns in the 80s you know they on bewitched he had only like 13 episodes out of 250 episodes he was our uncle arthur on bewitched so you know even though he stole every scene and was uh you know synonymous with the bewitched show he wasn't really on there a lot but then in the 90s game show network appeared and they started rerunning hollywood squares and i think yes. from that point you got a daily dose of what people in the 60s and 70s got every day as well as you would see this guy on television with these crazy lines you know being outrageous being funny greatest you know great timing 
um, knocking everybody dead. And that rekindled an interest in a newer generation of, of viewers to realize, oh yeah, he's not just like the one guy from Bye Bye Birdie or Uncle Arthur. He was more than that. And it made people interested because he was, he, 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 he was as interesting in the 90s, if not more, than he was in the 60s and 70s. Absolutely. And so that's when people, you know, in, in my generation started to like delve deeper into what else has he done? You know, uh, what other works have, you know, can we, what else can we see him? In? And then we start to discover, oh, there were specials. Like he did these one hour specials. And of course, the biggest one that was released and, you know, re-released in like the mid 2000s, finally, was the Paul Lind Halloween special, which was like infamous. Great, great. I watch that every Halloween. Oh, me too. <laughs> it's a new tradition in our home as well because it is just a it's fantastic it's you know uh we see margaret hamilton who played the wiz uh the wicked witch of the west billy um uh, i'm sorry i'm blanking on her name billy hayes. Yeah. billy hayes yes billy hayes from witchy poo uh hr puff and stuff but then you also get the first televised appearance of kiss so you know absolutely. It, yeah absolutely it, betty white Pinky Tuscadero, <laughs> Tim Conway, Lawrence Henderson, who looks yes. spectacular. Yes, Donnie yes, and Donnie, and, yep, and Donnie and Marie. Um, yep. it, it was just like the perfect sampling of like what that era of television was and how Paul Lynn fit in in that time. Um, that it's sort of camp. It's you know it's very camp actually, but. <laughs> Um, but it was just a, just the right dosage of Paul Lind. And, you know, um, and I think you were, you, you did say something about him being like, maybe a, doing a cooking show. I think, yeah, maybe a talk show, like in the eighties, you know, getting a daytime talk show in the late eighties or early nineties would have been fantastic for him, um, to just sort of get to know, um, more about him and maybe have him open up more about himself and become more comfortable because it seemed like he was, throughout his career he was very bitter or he had, he had a bitterness about him and he had some struggles with other people's success versus his own exactly. and i think he was coming around to later in his in his days he was coming around to understanding who he was as an actor and where he fit in in the zeitgeist in in in, in show business and i think he would have maybe matured into you know, something that a lot of you know, like a personality that would have been you know more comfortable for him and he would have gone on and, you know, been as successful as he was and also be comfortable with his success and not longing after being like this leading man or this sort of image of success that he had in yep. his head. Yep. So it's a, it, it is such a shame, but um, yeah, it was just, a, I, I, reading your book, I felt like I knew, a, you know, a lot more about Paul than I ever did. Uh, I felt like I was there in those situations, especially like in his home, like, even, you know, through the ups and downs and the, the dark times and the, the good times. Like, I really kind of felt like I experienced life with Paul. So you did a very good job in writing your book. Thank you so much. And I, I do want to mention the, the title of the book again, Paul Lind, a biography, his life, his loves and his laughter he would always sign his autographs with love and laughter correct that's why, yep that's why i use it yep exactly you know it, it's funny i think that 
I think of all like the, the, the tidbits that blew me away the most. And maybe it's just because those few appearances were so memorable. I, I thought, I thought that Paul Lynn was a, every episode on Bewitched type thing. It, it was shocking how few episodes he was on, but maybe it's just because they just re-ran those ones more, but it just, when, when, when it came out that it ran eight seasons and he was only on like, what was it, 11 times, 13 times? 11 as uncle author, one as the driving instructor. Uh, you know, right. crazy. You know, just absolutely, you know, crazy. And 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 to you know to double down on what Joe said, like the personal stories and, and your personal stories, um, having written it years later of your your younger teen, you know, late teen self, um basically being pouty because it's it's just funny you're in a limo with them because you're not sitting next to him how upset you are and then him and his friends switch place so you can and you're you're very reflective in those moments of like yeah I was being kind of spoiled but I wanted to sit next to my man and it was just yeah I was jealous he was giving the guy more attention than me I went ah <laughs> that ain't happening I don't care who you are I had to figure out eventually that he was gay when I did I was ah Took a while to, you know, realize he really is gay. His affection to me is real, but it's not his, you know, his sexual orientation is for other men. But I wasn't letting that, you know, stop me from being around him. Number one, that was terrible. <laughs> well, 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 it's funny because it's it's people like Paul Lynn. It's funny in retrospect where where you realize how much people didn't know that uh, people like Paul Lynn and Liberace were considered like lady killers, you know, back in the fifties and sixties that people just thought, Oh, look at these studs just having women lined up around the corner waiting for them. So true. But well, technically they probably were right. Yeah, exactly. You know? Right? Yeah. So I, I guess as you know, being a person who knew him, was there some uh, you probably you probably you know you had to take you know kind of better care of of this than other people who might be just doing it as you know like typically biographies are like researched um, works by an author that often don't even know the you know the subject but as a person who you know essentially you know who was a a, a dear friend of yours you know what kind of pressure did you feel as you wrote this book or like what what were the things that you were really really conscientious of to make sure that you know you told the story that you wanted out there as a friend I guess um I I tried to stay truth and Paul once told I think his agent if anybody ever writes about me it's got to be the truth whether he really meant it or not it's stuck in my head I'm going to put everything in the book the good the bad his arrest his alcohol addiction his fights with people um but I'm going to balance it because every person, whoever you are, I don't, there's, everybody has good sides, great sides, bad sides. Some people have demons. Everybody has human error, which is who we are. Mm -hmm. So I balanced them. And, but I also made you sure, at least I thought, let the reader also see, because going back in the day, the tabloids, and they still like to pick the worst thing about a person. And that's what makes headlines. Everything does. Bad news. People love to hear um, tragic, not that they love to hear, but they're more interested in it. Yeah. And that's Paul's headlines. So back in the day, you know, Paul got press, some good, but mostly it was because he got arrested. 
the normal things back then that made people want to read more about celebrities. So let me balance that, but let me also show his human side, his lonely side, his successful, beautiful career side. Um, and I, I just made sure my facts were the best I could get them from my, because I kept a diary when uh, I, since I'm 10. So when I come back from anytime I saw Paul, every detail from what he wore to what he said I had. So I still had these. So they were right there for me to go back and reference. And then also did enough research to make sure it was as factual about his life and honest. And I think Paul would like it. I think so. 100%, I'm sure. I certainly hope so. Yeah, and speaking, I just want to mention one nice thing, or one story of his kindness that you included in the biography was that there was an unfortunate incident where he had uh, one Christmas Eve or about a couple of days before Christmas Eve, he had spent the past few days you know, uh, wrapping about 200 presents for all of his friends that he was you know, eventually going to, you know, distribute to his, his friends. And he comes home one night and he finds that his house had been broken into or that he'd just been plain robbed and all of his presents were gone. And so he, he was so distraught, like he didn't even report it to the police for like two days. But then he also not just, you know, reported the incident, he went out and bought 200 more presents yep, to, yep. to give to you know because he, he was not going to deny you know christmas for yeah, his friends because funny. of what had happened to him so you know that's yeah, just that sort of like yeah, yeah that, was, that was cool yeah. you know it, it, um and it, it is because you you did you had a lot of stuff in there uh it, you know from somebody who really looked up to him uh, you didn't sugarcoat the whole thing. And, and you, you, you know, you put in the stories where he so many times was at the precipice of taking the next step forward in his career. And he kept shooting himself in the foot. Yeah. You know, um, I forget the guy's name, but whether it was a casting director or director, you know, he he he, he was going to meet at a function. And before he met him, uh, whether it was nerves or, or whatever it was got very drunk and got to the belligerent stage, Paul, and was just, you know, just really, really aggressively mean to the guy. Um, and then, you know, he, the next morning, he's so remorseful. He called the people who put the meeting together, says, you know, I want to apologize. A second meeting was set up and then he did the same thing again, <laughs> you know, and he just couldn't help himself. Yeah. Yeah. Prince was running the whole Broadway he wanted a spot so bad they got to see him got to see him I don't know what alcohol just didn't he sh he shouldn't have drank too much because it made him go from now I've been with him when he drank a lot but he start out funny then get funnier and funnier and funnier with me I was lucky there was no I guess uh animosity no no competition with me but with other people then he'd get really nasty. Oh, you know, you're doing better than me and you shouldn't be or whatever his, you know, and get vicious. But uh, yeah, yeah, that that's a classic story. Dick Van Tyke actually told that story originally. And I thought that was hilarious that, you know, Paul and, and, did it again. 
And what you and what we talked about just a little while ago about how somebody as young as Joe is still on a regular basis watching old clips. Um, you know, we love the book. A friend of mine, or more a friend of my wife's, Gene, a few years ago, uh, put together a play. And I'm trying to remember. He told me, I guess, um, a woman named Connie, Connie Rice, Gene, um, uh, Paul's niece like you know heads up his estate or whatever and with their permission stuff he had started a one-man production kind of a biopic and a, and a reimagined what his life would be like had he lived past 82 uh called god save the queen um and so people are out there still writing about him uh, uh putting on plays about him and stuff like that and and it, i i get the feeling from your book you know, he died kind of very sad because I don't think he realized how popular he really was because where 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 he was in his life. I think he always thought he will. He should have been at, a, at a, a higher stage. He should have been at a different place. But the place he was at meant so much to millions of people. You know, I feel bad that he, I don't think he ever realized that, you know, we're we're, at, we're 40 years past his passing. You know, just 40 years past. And here we are talking about your book and other productions. That, and I don't think he would have imagined that that would have happened. No, he would not. He'd be shocked. He'd be thrilled. And, and but he'd be shocked. He'd be like, oh, my gosh, I, he would never believe it. But that is a that's a tribute to who he was. And to me, that is the way the world is. I hope he can see it from above and realize, oh, my gosh, we're still talking about you. Your talent was seemed to him underrated. But we all realized your talent, Paul, and we're still talking about it. And that's well, how legacy. how long did you kick around writing this book in your head before you finally said, OK, I have to do this? I kept wanting to write just an article about how Paul and I met. I, that was my thing. But in my head, I'm like, oh, I, I can make it longer. I can make it longer. And then I got a, uh, in touch with Connie Rice, his estate, and we, I was talking to her and then somehow i i forget i forget now but next thing i know i'm talking to peter marshall who gives me a forward to the book who tells me well here's Kay ballard's number and i call Kay ballard and she said well you got to call this one and then it went cloris leachman and i'm talking to these people they didn't know me they all love paul knew paul and were happy to talk to me about are oh, you gonna write his life story this is great i'll contribute betty white wonderful um and then it just I put together all these interviews plus research and here we are <laughs> got the book yeah and again it's a wonderful book I, I i highly recommend that anybody listening uh who you know just like even like you don't know paul and you just want to know like how how the show business was in those days and and just to get a behind the scenes of what it was like to be a celebrity of that status and just what it was like to work in Hollywood in that part of the, uh, the, the, the 20th century should definitely pick up this book and, and give it a read because yeah, it, it is well researched. And, you know, even it also comes from a personal point of view because you knew, uh, you knew Paul. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's really great. And again, I want to mention the title, Paul Lind, a biography, his life, his loves, and his laughter. Um, yeah, it, it's splendid. Uh, I don't know, Biff, did you have anything to, I think did you? I think I have, to, I'm looking at the book right now, this picture, you know, um, 
I got this picture from Daphne Wells Nichols, who Paul was on vacation uh, in uh, Maine, and I and he bumped into her. And long story sh short, she took a photo. She convinced him to do a photo session, and then I heard him say, or she told me, I forget we were talking that that's how he would like to be remembered. And that's why I picked that picture. It's not a Hollywood Squares picture. It's not his typical photo, but that is why she said, go ahead, use it for your cover. I said, that's how he wants to be remembered. Cause that was a hard time picking the cover. I could do a Hollywood Squares, I could do Bewitched. And I went, mm, let me do him. And what I also think uh, in doing all the book conventions and signing is I've had people who said to me, I didn't know who Paul Lynn was, but as a teen, I had the crush on an idol. And you showed me it can happen and what would happen if it did, which is kind of unique because I think 90% of us, maybe more, maybe a little less, grew up wishing you could meet whoever it was at that time. I'll date myself, but Raquel Welch was big, Donny Osmond, uh, Bobby Sherman. Um, even these days, people, that Justin Bieber, whoever they are. But this is, a, it's also a fairy tale come true for me that I got to meet my idol, which, you know, I, the, I, Thank God, my dad, and I just lost my dad uh, about uh, 30 days ago, sadly enough, because he was the one that helped make this happen. Um, but all that just came together, and I believe in my heart, it came together, not knowing back then, just because I wanted to meet Paulin, and not knowing that Paulin was going to be my friend, but maybe, fast forward, that someone would write a book about Paul with everything you would not know about him, and get to see it all. That's kind of what I think maybe is the reason behind why it all happened, not knowing that back then, just looking now, why is that here? Why did this happen? Maybe so people could see Paul and really give him the uh, accolades he deserves so well. I, I, I think Joe will say, you know, it, it is a fantastic read. I will say it was a fantastic listen on Audible. <laughs> Highly recommend. I mean, it was, it was personal. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it is. It, it's a wonderful story how it came to be. I, I love that Paul was like, you know, what what turned the corner for him about meeting is like, you know, I'll bring my father. You know what I mean? And, and he's like, OK, I'll, okay. He, you okay, know, he might be safe. Yeah, I, I, you know, you know, seriously, it's like, yeah, I, I don't I mean, yes, I'm going to meet a strange random girl I don't know at a hotel in New York, you know, sure, that's going to be on the up and up and and but but the fact that in the fact that your dad, you know, takes a day off of work or whatever to take that yeah. train ride. I mean, that that was that was such a wonderful story and stuff like that. Overall, I mean, I, I've I love I loved it. I'm glad that we had this time. Thank you so much for, for, you know, for letting me kind of stalk you on Twitter and contact <laughs> you and reach out and say, Hey, me and a couple weirdo friends have this weirdo podcast. Would you come and talk to us about it? So this has been great for us. Thank you so very much. You guys are all fun. You all did your homework or you all really love Poland. I appreciate that. This is a great show. Um, definitely uh, was glad that you reached out. Love to talk about Paul. I mean, you know, I'm still passionate about our relationship and about his whole career. And I thank you all for taking an interest in Paul, reading the book and having me on. This was a lot of fun. And uh, our, our condolences to your loss. Uh, you know, I, again, your father was very instrumental in your, obviously your life, but all the, 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 just getting you to Paul and writing this book, you know, it's a, uh, it's a wonderful story. And, uh, yes, and 
you know, the, the kiss. My dad, people ask my dad, how did you let him kiss her? And my dad says, because my mother was yelling, you know, Jerry, that's my dad, Jerry Fitzgibbon. Jerry, get him off of her. And my dad said later, just recently, as we always talk together and when I get interviewed for other places, like, wow, why did you let him kiss her? And my dad said, I let her have a moment. He knew he was gay at that point. He figured he's not going to hurt her, but he cares about her. You know? <laughs> yeah. Dad probably got that. Yeah. yeah. Dad my got all the innuendos. Yeah. And great for your dad not bursting your bubble, you right. know, just sort of like letting you go. Oh, that was that was wonderful. You know, it was, that was so so there's fun things in the book that are, are really uh, sweet and dear to my heart. But I think other people will get it. You know, you guys all did. So I appreciate that. You're great. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, likes the the, book, Amazon, give me a review. Would love it. Appreciate it. That always helps. No, it, it does. And we will do that. And I will um, I will send you a link as soon as this is posted a, a week great. from Monday. And uh, and seriously, it was a fun read and, and it was great. And thank you again. Thank you, guys. Been fun. Enjoy your afternoon. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Kids, I don't know what's wrong with these kids today. Kids, who can understand anything they say? Kids, they are disobedient, disrespectful oaks. Noisy, crazy, sloppy, lazy loafers. While we're on the subject, kids, you can talk and talk to your faces blue. Kids, but they still do just what they want to do. Why can't they be like we were, perfect in every way? What's the matter with kids today? I could. Kids, all the things I've done were for your own good. Kids, can't you once appreciate how I've sacrificed working, slaving, scrimping, saving pennies, and living with your father? Kids, no one knows the burdens I've had to bear, and in my condition. Kids, I'm a poor sick woman, and does he care? Ha! Go on, go on, and kill me. That's what it's coming to. When a mother has kids like you Kids All the chicken soup that I made for you Mama, take it easy Kids Now you throw me out like a worn-out shoe Not in front of everybody, Mom After all, I haven't been such an awful son I never sash you back or leave a ring around the bathtub And don't always phone you Kids, you can give your life to them night and day Kids, then they go get married Married Getting married. Why do we have these children? Better to have a pet. You know where you stand with the pet. I never asked for nothing. Nothing is what you'll get. What's the matter with kids? Two. I tried, Luke, but I failed. Oh, you didn't, Mama, you didn't. Don't try to pay me back, Sonny. I forgive you. So what if you're an ingrate? So long as you're happy. I don't want to be happy. Don't feel guilty. Just make believe I'm an old used car. Junk me. Leave me in the gutter. I'll never leave you. Never. You heard him. You're a witness. I promise, Mama. I never broke promise to my mama. Good boy. Why can't they be like Albert? Perfect in every way. What's the matter with kids? Yeah, what's the matter with kids? Nothing's the matter with kids, too.